For the words I speak, the words we hear, be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So here we are, third week of Advent. Christmas is nearly upon us. And this is this week the theme is joy. You might have noticed that from lighting the joy candle. So that's lit there. So I'm wondering, as we kind of get into this week where we think about joy, what it is that brings you joy. So I invite you to turn to your neighbour and to think about what brings you joy. this at my last service at the Mount and got them to talk to each other and he sat there stoically so I can imagine his answer today would be not having to talk to my neighbour in church that would not be what brings me joy (laughs) so what does bring us joy sorry family what else good health yep good friends Good food. Anything else? Well, I wonder then what brings God joy? Because this is really the question we should be asking in the third week of Advent. What is it that brings God joy? So let's bring that question to two of the readings we heard this morning. So our Gospel this morning was from... John's Gospel, and it's a bit tricky because it's about John the Baptizer, so there's too many Johns already. And uh, we've been hearing about John the Baptizer from Mark, and there are some kind of big differences between how John presents John the Baptizer and how Mark presents the the Baptist. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, are quite interested in what John teaches and what he does, whereas John doesn't care less for what John teaches. All he tells us is his role. Now there's a bit of political argy-bargy going on here because John had clearly been, John the Baptist, had clearly been an important prophet. And there were still communities of his followers around who were asking questions like, well it seems likely that Jesus was one of John's disciples. And so they're asking, how is it that one of the prophet's disciples is now more important than the prophet, than the rabbi? Surely Jesus should be still subservient to John because he was the disciple. And so part of what the gospel writers are doing are saying, yes, Jesus was a disciple, but actually John pointed to Jesus. So there's a bit of kind of just establishing the pecking order going on in these stories. And there are still groups today who look back to John the Baptist and his teaching. So 
as little as we have. So you know, he was a significant figure. And for John, that's all important. The Baptist points to Jesus. That's the point. Now, in fact, what we have here today is some commentators would argue is a kind of nice version of what was really happening. And what was really happening was those people from Jerusalem sent down by the Jerusalem leadership. When we read Jews, that's who we're talking about, the Jerusalem leadership. And it was an interrogation. It wasn't a polite, oh, so who are you? It was a real, so who do you think you are doing these things? Because in reality, the temple was supposed to be where sins were forgiven. The temple was supposed to be the place where new life began. Not down at the Jordan with some crazy guy dressed up in camel's hair. And if we believe the other gospel writers, John was actually from priestly family. He was a rogue priest, gone wild. So there was a real question going on here. So how do we answer the question, what would bring John joy? Well, John the Baptist, uh, John the Gospel writer would say, what brought the Baptist joy was doing his role. And his role was to point to Jesus. Knowing his role and doing it. That's what brought joy. No matter how hard that was, no matter how fierce the opposition to him was, joy was found Fulfilling his role. The other reading I want to focus on is from Isaiah. And it should be a well-known, at least part of a passage. Well-known because it's the passage that Jesus reads in Luke 4 that gets him into all sorts of trouble. If you want to know what Jesus' mission was, if you want a manifesto, The passage we heard from Isaiah today is exactly that. This describes, according to Luke and the other Gospel writers, what Jesus was on about. So, it's an important piece. Throughout Advent, we have been listening to jumping backwards and forwards around Isaiah. So, two weeks ago, we heard another passage from 3rd Isaiah. So, that's the chunk of Isaiah that is... Uh, written after the exile, uh, chapters 56 to the end. Last week we heard a piece from 2nd Isaiah, which is chapters 41 to 55, and that's written during the exile. And 1st Isaiah, which we haven't listened to, but I think we listen to next week, comes from 1st Isaiah, which was written before the exile. So you can tell that they've written at different times because they talk about different things. And uh, so it's like there was a school of prophets who kept the prophecies of Isaiah alive and they reinterpreted them for a new situation. So they took them and they reinterpreted them for being on exile and then they reinterpreted them again after the exile. And two weeks ago, what we heard was about hope Lost, really. It was about their hopes that had just not been fulfilled. The exiles, which were the Jerusalem leadership, had been they'd been taken away from Jerusalem. The poor people were left behind. The wealthy and the powerful were taken off. 
and they had been in exile and then they were allowed to come home. And they had hopes that it would be like they had been told it was before the exile. That Jerusalem would be an important city. That the temple would be there. That they would be in positions of power and authority and in lives of comfort and wealth and power. And they got back and, well, from all accounts, the people that were there weren't so chuffed to see them come back. Oh, you guys. Uh, We were getting on quite well without you. But, oh, well, okay, nice to see you, I guess. And the non-Jews who were living there, well, they were even less pleased to see these guys coming coming back. But that actually kind of worked out life without these Jewish leaders. And the city, well, it was just a small town, really. And the temple wasn't there. And there were no walls. And they were constantly at risk of raiding. And so all their hopes and dreams were lost. Life was hard. And it wasn't supposed to be that hard. That was about their hopes. That was about what gave them joy. This week, we hear about what gives God joy. And it's a very different kind of passage. So I wonder how carefully you listen to it. We've heard bits of it twice because it was also in our sentence. But I'll read the beginning again and I want you to think about what is it that gives God joy. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall rise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. And so he goes on. So what is it that gives God joy? Well, our answer to that will depend on who we are and our life experiences. What do I mean by that? About 28 years ago, 27 years ago, I went to a preaching workshop. It was a workshop about how we are to prepare sermons and the kind of things we should talk about in those sermons. And in part it was very useful and I still use some of the ideas that I got from that workshop. But the guy who was teaching was a white, middle class, male American. And so he read the Bible through his white, middle-class, male, American eyes. And he thought that the way he read the Bible was the way to read the Bible. It was the right way. And anyone who read the Bible differently was wrong. Because his way was the right way. And so he gave us a few examples of the kind of thing that we should preach. 
And it was all about our lives as individuals, and it was all about being good, upstanding, moral citizens. And so he would read that passage in terms of being good, upright, moral people. That's what it was all about. And he then proceeded to tell us that liberation theology and black theology and women's theology, feminist theology, was all wrong and unbiblical. It had no biblical basis. So just imagine him coming to today's passage. He would read it. It's all about justice for him. And he would read it in terms of what works for him and us leading good, moral, upright lives. So that's one way of reading that passage. That would be what gives God joy for him. But compare that to peasants and farm workers in Central and South America when they gathered together and read that passage. What do you think they would hear from that passage? Would it be about living good, upright, moral lives? No. When they read that passage, they read that it was about them and their situation of being poor and oppressed, and that their poverty and their oppression would end, that they would have land, that they would have enough food, that they would have enough money to live comfortably. An entirely different way of understanding. So for them, what gives God joy is when they have enough to live on. Who's right? Well, in the end, they're both right. Because God is speaking to both of us in our situation. And again, how an African-American would read that passage and how women around the world would read that passage would be entirely different from how that white, male, middle-class American would read it. The trouble is he couldn't see it. He could just say, well, I'm right and they're wrong. The richer way of doing it is when we say, well, actually, I have a little bit of the truth, but they also have some of the truth, and I need to hear their voices as well. Then, then... I will begin to understand what truly gives God joy. Actually, just in the sheer act of listening to the other person, I suspect we will give God joy as well. So, what gives God joy? That is the question for us. And how do we live in a way that honours what gives God joy? And how do we allow others to also know God's joy this Christmas? As we prepare for Christmas, what is it that God gives God joy? Now we had a couple of options this morning for the psalm. The other option was the Song of Mary which isn't a psalm, but it's a great song. And those of us who sang even song on Sunday evenings will know this well, and it's a lovely song. And we kind of miss the, the revolutionary edge of the song. There are countries in South America where this song is banned. It is too revolutionary. So, 
How we read it depends on where we stand. The Song of Mary is one of those songs. So I invite you to turn to page 41, and we're not going to do a creed, we're not going to do Hertikana Fokoponon this morning. This morning we are going to recite the Song of Mary. And as we say this song together on page 41, I invite you to think about what is it that you are being invited to do today and what is it that gives God joy.